Hello, everyone. We are back again with another episode of Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Race Bay Podcast Network on last week's episode. I was joined by Jim Turvey, where we talked out of the park baseball 21 and our experiences in the game using the Rays. There's going to be an update on how those saves are coming along at the end of the podcast. Also, we're still waiting for the start of the 2020 Major League season, where we'll be recapping Rays games whenever, wherever, and however they'll be played. Until then, we've got the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, the top flight league in South Korea. Over at DRaysBay.com, we have put out a few articles to get baseball fans and specifically Rays fans primed for the 2020 KBO season, which just got underway last week. Games are now being picked up in the U.S. Uh, by ESPN, so a lot, uh, very easy access for for people, for fans that want to follow either a team or just watch some baseball, even if it is at very, the very early hours of the morning. But joining me on this week's show, he's a senior writer at D-Race Bay, and I've heard he is the resident pitching expert at the site. So on an episode that we are devoting almost entirely to one Blake Snell, I thought he'd be the perfect guy to come on and raise his voice about Snell. Welcome, Brian Menendez. How you doing, man? Uh, what's going on, Brad? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped, man. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a good one. And obviously, Blake Snell... Um, won a Cy Young Award back in 2018 as one of the core pieces of this Rays team, but has really rose to maybe national stardom from this past offseason. And, well, I guess you could still consider this the offseason, even though we are supposed to be playing baseball, because MLB put out the Players League, a new video game competition on MLB The Show, in which 30 representatives from each of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball played against each other in a round-robin league, and then there were playoffs, and ultimately Blake Snell was crowned champion. Uh, he won $30,000, which went to the Boys and Girls Clubs of, the, of Suncoast, um, and it's, it was really, uh, you know, if, if you're not a video game fan, or even if you are a video game fan, it might not be something that you were sitting down and watching all the games, even though a couple of them were on ESPN. I think most of them were on Twitch, but in terms of social media interaction, it was one of the you know, biggest things MLB has done in recent memory. Brian, did you get a chance to to follow this league or th- this tournament, I guess you could call it, at all and, and watch Snell's progression through it? Um, I didn't watch most, most of the tournament or the gameplay, to be honest with you, but what, what I did uh, observe, and I, I think it was even more interesting, kind of Blake Snell's just kind of rise to stardom um, as part of this whole thing, I, I, I feel like it, it's weird to say, but a lot of people, I remember saying that like, if the world series was like Juan Soto's coming out party, I feel like this in a lot of ways was Blake Snell's coming out party. Not to say that he wasn't well-known before this. We know he won the signing in 2018, but I think he's a household name now because of this. And it was really interesting to kind of watch that progression. I, I, I really think he, he shined through this whole process. And that was really awesome to see, you know, one of our guys kind of go through that. Well, well, Snell, even before this, was very well-known in the video game community. He is a renowned Twitch streamer. He's got an entire, looks like a very expensive setup in his house where he'll stream a ton of games, but he's recently started streaming MLB The Show, and he's gotten really good at it. And we saw him early on in the MLB Players Tournament, which was, I guess, probably a month ago now, maybe even more, where he beat Hunter Pence, and it was only four players. It was uh, Snell, Pence, um, Amir Garrett of the Cincinnati Reds and one other player that I don't remember off the top of my head, but Snell beat Pence in the semifinal and then lost to Amir Garrett 
in the championship game. Um, and that was kind of the, the dry run for Major League Baseball with the, the players playing MLB The Show and it being streamed live on the internet. And then they run out this 30-team uh, um, tournament, which, I don't know, Brian, I, I watched a little bit of the games. This one was a little bit unfair because each player from the 30 teams <laughs> represented their team. So players, you know, I don't remember who was representing for the Orioles or for the Marlins, but I don't know. That's kind of a, a an unfair advantage for a guy like Blake Snell who gets to play with the Rays, right? Yeah, right. Um, are are you are you implying that the the quality of the representative mirrored the quality of the team, or? No, I, I I've seen Blake. <laughs> I've watched some of Blake Snell's streams. I know he is a really good player. Uh, and uh, but but getting to pitch with himself and MLB the show. I've pitched with Blake Snell and MLB yeah, the show. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He, he, is, uh, he is dirty. That curveball yeah. just is, is falls off a table. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he was incredible. He beat Lucas Giolito in the uh, championship round, took home the trophy, got uh, you know, went a little bit of money for charity. But also since that, like you said, he has become a household name. Uh, he, he, he was quoted. I don't remember what it was for. I think he had a home run with Zanino. And was quoted saying, "I need it so bad." Oh yeah, that that became his catchphrase. Yeah. And now he's selling merch with that yep. on hoodies, on t-shirts, on hats, whatever. I think he launched a new website today called uh, I think it's Snellzilla or something where he's selling all this merch. But uh, how cool is it? And, and do you think Blake Snell, like, do you think video games and Twitch and streaming is a platform that's just built for Blake Snell? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, like we were saying earlier, he, he was always well known, but um, it, we, we maybe, you know, when, when I think of like, you know, somebody on the raise with a big personality, you know, I think of Willie Adamas, I think of G-Man Choi, I think guys like that. I don't think you think of Blake Snell first, um, but because of this, you really get a chance to see his personality and, and kind of how he is and how relatable he is. And I think that this whole thing has kind of put him in that breath. It's incredible. And we talk about baseball and how players and how the league can promote the game's best players. And it's hard once you get into the season, because from February until sometimes November, you know, there's not many off days throughout the year. And you look at some other leagues like the NFL and the NBA, where they could have two, three, four, and the NFL, you have a full week off before your next game, where during those off days, obviously they have practice and other things, but there are more opportunities for these players to promote themselves and to promote their brand and to promote the sport in baseball. When you're playing every day, that becomes a lot harder. Now, the other argument is that pitchers are harder to become household names because they're only pitching every fifth day. A guy like Blake Snell pitches. And then during the season, I'm pretty sure he streams video games the night after his start, but that's the only night he'll do, he'll do it. Cause he'll be focusing on his next start after that. But usually the night after his start, he'll stream some video games, take like a rest day. And this is a really good opportunity for not only Snell, but other players in Major League Baseball and other pitchers to, to build their brand. And I think video games is a great way to do it. It's interactive. It, it, it's a chance for players to, to show their personalities off and really build their brand. And I think, uh, you know, only, only good can, can come from it. Uh, the, yeah, the other thing we wanted to talk about with Blake Snell is what to expect from him in the 2020 season. A bit of a bumpy 2019 after coming off what, probably the most dominant season in race history in 2018 where he took on the Cy Young in 2019 it was a little bit more difficult so going to run through some of his numbers and then we're going to break down um, why you should be really excited to see Blake Snell pitch in 2020 yeah let's do it 2019 he went six and eight 
He had a 4.29 ERA over 23 starts, only through 107 innings. Obviously, he went through a couple injuries. Had a 1.27 whip, was striking out 12.4 batters per nine innings, a 3.32 FIP, and uh, his WAR throughout the season was 1.4. So obviously, a big drop off from uh, his 7.1 wins above replacement in 2018. But Brian. Without even looking at the numbers, what was your what were your thoughts on Snell's season and his performances throughout the year? Well, going into going into 2019, I mean, Blake Snell's 2018 season, you know, was was not just great by race standards, but you know, by by ERA minus on Fangraphs, it was really one of the historically great seasons by a left-handed pitcher of all time. We're not just talking about since a certain year. We're not talking about for the Rays. We're talking about in the history of baseball. Um, uh, ERA minus, if you don't know, it, it, it scales the league average to 100, right? And it works like ERA. So lower is better. Um, every point you are lower than 100 represents one percentage point that you are better than the league average, right? So Blake Snell's ERA minus in uh, 2018, I'm looking at it right now, was 46. So that means he was 54% better than the league average, which is insane, you know, considering the, the run scoring environment that we in, I know 2018 wasn't as crazy as 2017, 2019, but like I said, this was one of the most historically great seasons for a left-handed pitcher of all time. So just because of that, we do have to bake in a certain level of aggression. Um, by ERA minus in 2019, however, Blake Snell was actually pretty close to league average. He had a 96 ERA minus. So he was only 4% better than league average. Um, but if you look at some of the more advanced metrics like uh, fielding independent pitching, um, XFIP, which is one of my favorite stats, um, some of the stat cast numbers like expected weighted on base, expected ERA, things like that. Um, and a lot of those metrics, he actually performed better in 2019 than he did in 2018. So even though from a run prevention perspective, um, the numbers don't look as good um, when you compare year to year, but uh, there's definitely a lot more to look forward to in 2020. Is he going to get back to that 2018 form? It's hard to say um, because he was so historically great. Um, but I definitely think somewhere in the realm of a 75 to 80 ERA minus, which is, you know, 20 to 25% better than league average. Um, I think that's not only feasible, but I mean, that's what a lot of the projection models are, are spitting out for him. Um, somewhere in that, you know, four to five wins above replacement range. So look, looking at Blake, Blake Snell's uh, pitch repertoire, obviously he's got an incredible fastball. It's got a lot of zip to it and maybe one of the game's best curveballs. I think ESPN put out a piece last offseason with the best pitch for, I think it was like the best five pitches in Major League Baseball and Blake Snell's curveball was listed. Do you think that's something he should maybe rely on a little more? or maybe try to develop that, that change up or that slider going into 2020? Um, he definitely did rely on it a lot. Um, he threw it 25% uh, of the time in 2019. And by any result you look at, it was just as good in 2019 as it was in 2018. Um, so there really isn't much that I think that he needs to change. Um, it really is going from he – I think he had a lot of – it's hard to say that he was lucky in 2018 because he really just was so good. But I think that um, the, the, the stats where you look at where he may have been a little bit more fortunate 
he was extremely unfortunate in 2019. So in 2020, if his skills are the same, you look for those metrics to kind of balance out and kind of meet in the middle. And that's why you expect uh, Blake Snell to be a lot better in 2020 than 2019. Yeah, and you, you look at Snell's year, and obviously it got derailed a little bit towards the end with that injury that he uh, dealt with later on, later on in the summer. But early on in the year, he had that one really bad start in New York, which I think he got pulled. Was it pulled in the first inning? It was the first inning, yeah. Kansas City, he also had a stinker as well. And yeah, I think um, a lot of it. A lot of it too. I mean, if you look at his, if you look at his 2018 game log, I mean, part of why he is he, uh, his results as a whole were so good because, like I said, if you look at his game log, I mean, start after start where he's like seven innings, one run, six innings, no runs, eight innings, two runs. Um, because of the injuries in 2019, he, he just never was able to break off that type of run at any point in the season. Um, part of it was the injuries. Part of it was just never getting into that groove. Um, part of it was, you know, just, you know, him just being a little bit on, uh, having a little bit of bad luck. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the key to 2020 is, uh, just, just being a little bit healthier and being able to string together, um, a couple of really good starts in a row because that's really what he was able to do in 2018 and just wasn't able to do for whatever reason in 2019. Yeah, look, looking at those starts, he gave up five on opening day uh, against the Astros. He gave up seven in, against Kansas City. Uh, he was a little bit unlucky in that start. And then uh, one of the worst starts, I think probably the worst start of his career was that uh, outing where he went like a third of an inning at Yankee Stadium, gave up six earned runs on, on four walks, just really didn't have it. But you look at the rest of his games, and you're seeing a lot of those outings where he's just given up one or two runs. I think a lot of those, you know, if you just look at ERA, you know, a, a lot of those those bad numbers are really just clogged into a few starts, which I think is a good sign. The, the one start that, that really stood out to me from last season is my favorite going back and, and, and watching some of the highlights was that uh, seven-inning, 13-strikeout night against the Colorado Rockies in, like, the second series of the season. Yeah, that was start. actually – yeah, I actually, uh, I actually, funny you say that. I actually wrote a little thing about that uh, last year. I remember it because that start was was so good, um, and I talked about his um, his sequencing in that start. How it was just so much better than the start before. Um, I think in the start before he was a little bit more predictable. Um, in the set that second start that you're talking about against the Rockies, I think he he struck out 13 guys and he used all of his pitches to get strikeouts. Um, there were a couple that he used a curveball. There were a couple that he used a fastball. There were a couple in the changeup, a couple of the slider. So I think when, when you have four offerings like that, I mean, even if they're not as good as what Blake Snell can do, uh, I mean, I, I think it, it can't be bad to, to mix it up like that and be unpredictable. I mean, even if Blake Snell is predictable, he's still pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you told me a uh, curveball, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't hit it after a hundred swings. So, yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, Rocky's lineup, Blackman, Arenado, Trevor Story, David Dahl, Ian Desmond, Mark Reynolds. I mean, those are hitters in that lineup. Yeah. And, and to watch him carve them up that night, uh, keep Nolan Arenado off base, you know, that, that was, uh, that was really incredible. And I think that is the pitcher that the Rays have here in Blake Snell moving forward. I think he's the most dominant starter in race history. I know he hasn't pitched here as long as David Price did, um, at least not yet. But, uh, yeah, really really great stuff from Blake Snell. Now, now Brian, we talked about him growing uh, this offseason, at least growing his brand and, and maybe his Q score. He's just a lot more known now after this Players League victory, which is a great thing. Maybe it's a, a bit of a red flag for Major League Baseball that, 
you know, the, their players aren't getting known from playing actual baseball, but playing video games. Right. But in terms of Blake Snell, is something like this, what he did in the Players League, you know, could, could that make him the face of the franchise for the Rays? And it's hard to say that for a pitcher, that they're the face of the franchise if you're not seeing them every night. Um, I, would, I would go a step farther. I would say that he has kind of, because of this, I think that he's really transcended that. And I think that he's become one of the faces of baseball, not just of the Rays. I think when I think of the face of the Rays, I still, and I'm like, I might get roasted in the Slack channel. That's okay. But I would still put, you know, I still think of Kevin Kiermeyer and Willie Adamas as the faces of the Rays. But now I see Blake Snell as one of the faces of baseball, not just the Rays. Yeah. I kind of remember um, back in, you know, 2012, 2013, when Evan Longoria and Chris Archer were both on the Rays. And we knew that Evan Longoria was a, was the face of the team and had been for, you know, a while. But when Chris Archer had his breakout and was making all-star teams and doing community work and he was in commercials and all this stuff, I think he, in a similar way, kind of transcended that face of the franchise tag and became one of the faces of baseball. And I kind of see Blake Snell kind of doing the same thing, but it's funny because like for wildly different reasons. So. Yeah, for sure. And David Price, the same way he had, you know, his dog Astro was probably more famous than he was. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he would go on MLB network and was really a great ambassador for, for the team and for the area. And Blake Snell's doing the same thing. Um, it, it, I know he dealt with that injury last year. Uh, he had the uh, surgery to remove uh, loose bodies from his uh, left elbow. And then yeah, was a little was bit scary. of, yeah, it was scary. But <laughs> what was even scarier was the uh, soreness he was dealing with in his elbow this year in spring training. Yeah. Like yeah. every, uh, every year there's at least one or two big time starters that, that, you know, end up having elbow surgery um, in spring training. Blake Snell, you know, said he was fine. They said it was just maybe some dead arm or he just had a little bit of soreness. They gave him the cortisone shot. It was going to push back his timetable to be ready for opening day. But do you think what he dealt with last year and, and, and again at the start of this year is going to have any impact on, on his regular season whenever that does get started for the Rays and for Major League Baseball? Um, I mean, I think we know that by design, the Rays are very careful with their starting pitching. Um, but with that said, yeah, I mean, the, the injury risk is a real concern, not just with Snell, but for Glasnow as well. Um, if you would have told me before the 2019 season that Charlie Morton would have, would have been the one to throw close to 200 innings or more than that, I don't remember off the top of my head, um, I, would have, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's what happened. Um, so I, th I think that, you know, even if Blake Snell is completely healthy, you know, you might see him skip a start. You might see him get some extra days rest. You might see him like on a minimum DL stint. Um, and, you know, the, the Rays have the depth. I, that's it's such a cliche at this point, but the Rays have the depth to weather storms like that. Um, this is a team that, you know, got around 200 innings combined from, oh, sorry. Um, sorry, about 300 innings combined yeah. from, their, their top three starters um, and, and, you know, still won, what was it, 96 games. So, I mean, like I said, like, it, you know, you, you, you expect Yarbrough and Torinos to, to be who they are at this point. Um, you know, you expect McKay to be a little bit better. Um, you expect guys to, to come up and fill in roles. You expect them to use the, uh, the bullpen the, the way they know how. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely expecting Blake Snell to, to, to pick up kind of hopefully where he left off in 2018. And if he can, I mean, you know, there's no reason to think that the Rays won't be okay. 
for 2020 and opening day, whenever it happens, however it happens, it's definitely going to feel different this year. But opening day starter, say everyone's healthy, everyone's ready to go. Would you go with Charlie Morton or would you give it back to, to Blake Snell again for, for 2020? Ooh, that, that's tough, man. Um, Charlie Morton was so good. Um, but I think, I think you give the ball to Blake Snell um, because you know that Charlie Morton's not going to take it personally. Um, you know that Blake Snell is the guy for beyond this year. Um, you know, Blake Snell has, you know, been there a little bit longer. Um, yeah, I think, I think you go with Snell. I, I have to agree with you. And uh, it, it looked like it was moving towards Morton for opening day. Uh, if it had been played back in March, obviously Snell's injury probably played a little role in that or not his injury, but his soreness that he felt that they kind of pushed his timetable back. He might not have started till game three or four or five, depending on how they built him back up. But, yeah, you know, Snell has been here a little longer. And to be honest, he's probably going to be here a little longer after Morton, you know, either leaves or retires, which could yeah. be as early as next offseason. So, yeah, I would give it to Blake Snell, too. Again, because not only is he a face of the franchise, like you said, he is one of the faces of baseball now. And, you know, opening day starter, it's, it, you know, when, you, when you've got a rotation like the Rays, it's, it doesn't mean everything because – you know, one guy's going to go game one, the next guy's going to go game two. It'll work itself out. But it does mean yeah. something. And so I think, yeah, given the nod to Snell would have been the right move. I don't know what they would have done. I don't know what they're going to do. But I am really excited once baseball gets started again, whatever that is. Yeah, same. Like Snell in action. Because, you know, you look at some of his game logs from his earlier seasons. You know, he's not going the distance. He's not that type of starter. They had a lot of nights where he'd go five innings, you know, punch out 10 guys and then turn it over to the Rays bullpen, which has been dominant. You know, that's going to happen a lot this year. They're not, you know, guys aren't going to go seven, eight, nine innings. Blake Snell might have three, four inning outings where then you turn it over to the bullpen or you turn it over to, you know, he's not going to be an opener per se, but he's not going to go five, six, seven innings. And, and obviously the Rays bullpen is good enough and is deep enough to, to get the team through those games. And I'm actually really excited to see that. I know other people don't enjoy all the pitching changes, but I think it's really funny when you can go from like Blake Snell to Diego Castillo to Jose Alvarado to Nick Anderson. To Colin Poche. And yeah, exactly. And you're just mowing yeah. teams down. From a Rays fan standpoint, like when, when the Yankees do it to us, not a fan of that. But when the <laughs> Rays can do it, uh, I, I'm all for it. But uh, Brian, yeah, the I The only thing you... I hate from the Yankees is when they bring Adam Ottavino in and then he oh. – he, without fail, seems to walk the bases load with no outs, and then he always gets out of it, and I don't understand. Always, always <laughs> gets out of it. And then, uh, yeah, it's Ottavino, Chad Green, Tommy Canely. They, they've got a, a pretty stellar bullpen as well. But, Brian, I did want to give you a chance to talk about uh, your former high school baseball coach, Frank Permilli. Yeah, um, he, he, he recently passed away. It's been about three weeks at this point. Um, he was, I got the chance to play for him. Uh, I transferred to Gaither as a senior in 2007 and got to spend a year with him. Um, man, what, what, a, what, what a guy, what a coach. Um, you know, I, I, what helped me writing, crafting my story was you know, it helped that I had a personal kind of insight into um, what I was writing about. But, man, getting the stories from the other guys that I talked to just really kind of elevated him in my mind, even higher to, to, to where he was even at at that point. Um, and just hearing the, the words about him and how much, how much people are going to miss him. Um, he's, he's really, uh, there, there's going to be a void in the Tampa Bay baseball community that 
is just probably never going to be filled. Um, I think he's, he's in the same breath when it comes to Tampa baseball as, you know, guys like, you know, Al Lopez and, and, and guys like that, guys who, you know, just were bigger than baseball, bigger than the community. Um, and yeah, I think there's, there's some bigger, there's some big shoes to fill there for sure. For sure. And, and you talked about Tampa baseball and, and, and high school baseball in Tampa, you know, you mentioned the names, you could go to names like Fred McGriff, Tina Martinez, Luis Gonzalez, Doc Gooden, Lance McCullers, the list goes on and on. Yeah, and, uh, Gary Sheffield, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Coach Premier is going to be right there with those names, you know, in the history Absolutely. of Tampa Bay high school baseball. And, uh, yeah, a, a real legend. And uh, yeah. it really, you know, speaks to his impact reading through the stories on, on, on your article on D-Rays Bay, um, that, how much of an impact he had, how much of an influence he had. Because, uh, you know, for many people, a high school baseball coach is one of the most important figures in their life. And I know – that he was that for, for so many. So, uh, no, I, I appreciated uh, 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 those words you had for him on, on the site, and I encourage everyone to go read it because uh, it, it was some good stuff. But uh, thank you, Brian. What want to thank you for hopping on the podcast tonight and uh, raising your voice about Blake Snell because yeah, this yeah, this was a lot of fun, man. Let's do this again. Yeah, because when you look at if you pulled up his, his baseball reference page, you see a great year in 2018, and then you look at 2019, you squint your eyes a little bit, and at first you're like, that doesn't look that great. Is he, you know, is he going to be an elite pitcher moving forward? But if you just take a look a little further, a little deeper, I, I think the Rays ha have a really great pitcher in Blake Snell probably the most dominant pitcher they've ever had. And if he stays healthy and it, he, he can find some consistency in 2020, um, there's no reason that he can't, uh, you know, get, get a little bit closer to his 2018 form. Totally. Totally. Big thanks again for Brian Menendez for hopping on the show this week, talking Blake Snell. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that there would be updates on out of the park baseball, the two saves that Jim Turvey and I started and covered on last week's episode. Again, if you haven't listened already, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a fan or a player of Out of the Park uh, 21. So a quick update on Jim's um, save. Again, Jim is not managing the team. He's not making roster decisions. It's a true simulation. The game is making all the moves. He has simulated through the month of May, and here's how the Rays are doing. Currently, 35-26. and 26 but only in second place in the AL East, tied with the Toronto Blue Jays, with the Boston Red Sox two and a half games up in the East. Uh, Rays and Blue Jays are the two wildcard teams. The Yankees are a half game behind the Rays and the Blue Jays. And Baltimore, even though they're in last place, are playing 500 baseball. Uh, Jim says that the best non-AL East wildcard team is the LA Angels. They're two and a half games behind the Rays and the Blue Jays. Another good sign, Austin Meadows, wins hitter of the month in may uh, he's now hitting 332 he's got a 634 slugging percentage and a 175 weighted runs created plus and three wins above replacement already for the season so meadows obviously tearing it up and out of the park hopefully you can replicate those numbers once we get the 2020 regular season underway a roster move made by the simulation the Rays signed Carson Smith, that's a right-handed pitcher, a reliever who was a free agent, to a one-year $4.8 million deal. Colin Poche was sent down, so that's interesting. I'm not quite sure what Poche's numbers were, um, but Carson Smith takes his spot on the roster. Willie Adamas holding a 2.2 war 
with a 115 OPS plus. So it looks like solid offensive numbers from Willie Adamas. And obviously he's playing a lot at shortstop. And he could rack up a pretty solid war come the end of the season. Renfro, Hunter Renfro in the outfield, 16 home runs and a 125 OPS plus. Good for two wins above replacement. Uh, negative war players, Joey Wendell, Nate Lowe, uh, Brandon Lau, Brendan McKay as a hitter. Uh, they're, they're, none of them are terrible. Jim says that the none of them are lower than negative .2 war. So not great, but plenty of season left for those guys to turn it around. Charlie Morton having an incredible year thus far. He's got a 2.78 ERA, a, just a 2.79 FIP that it's fielding independent pitching, a .99 WHIP that is walks and hits per innings pitched, and 2.5 F4. So really solid numbers from Charlie Morton there towards the top end of the Rays rotation. Jim also updating us on Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, and Brendan McKay, who he says all have an F4 of over one. And also he says that Anthony Bonda is lighting up the big leagues while he's been up, but he's been in AAA for a little bit throughout the season. He's currently in AAA now. I could see Bonda being one of the guys that bounces up and down between uh, the majors and AAA this season and maybe even next depending on how the minors and options are handled this season. Another update on the bullpen, Diego Castillo and Andrew Kittredge are killing it in the bullpen, he says. Oliver Drake, Nick Anderson, and Alvarado have been struggling. Anderson has a 6-5 ERA, including two blown saves. The team as a whole has nine blown saves. Also, Randy Rosarena and Yoshi Tsutsugo, two new acquisitions to the Rays over this past offseason. He says are killing it in AAA and uh, he is wanting the game to call them up and send it to, to, and also to send down Joey Wendell. Wander Franco, an update on the race top prospect and in baseball's top prospect. Hitting 396, 476 on base, 626 slugging in the Southern League with the Montgomery Biscuits. That is the double-A level. And that is something to be excited about in terms of not only that simulation, but maybe what Wander would produce this season in double-A and hopefully beyond. Uh, but yeah, that is the update for Jim. Again, 35 and 26, but it looks like an incredibly stacked um, AL East, at least in this save. Now going on to my save in the month of May, uh, the Rays are at 33 and 28, also in second place in the AL East, four and a half games back of the Yankees. I think my AL East standings are a little more realistic than what we're seeing in Jim's save, with uh, Baltimore playing 500 and Boston having a two and a half game lead over the Blue Jays and Rays uh, at the top of the division, but going through a couple notable uh, moves throughout the month. May 6th, Kevin Smith, the backup catcher out of four for four game. He's produced okay for a backup catcher. Kevin Kiermeyer got himself suspended on May 8th for three games after charging the mound and starting a bench clearing. So the game does that quite a bit, a little more, than I think happens in real life in terms of charging the mound and the suspensions. Uh, I, I, you get a lot of notifications in the game of that happening around the league. I think it happens a little too much. Sometimes I want to turn it off just because it happens too much, but for the sake of this save, I did not. And, uh, yeah, Kevin Kiermeyer picked up a three-game suspension, but no worries, Manuel Margot picked up the slack, and, and Kiermeyer has not been playing that well, offensively at least, to start the season. Um, an in-division trade, the Boston Red Sox acquired Brian Dozier in a trade with the Padres. Uh, some rough news on May 16th. Austin Meadows uh, suffered a fractured thumb, putting him out for at least six weeks. 
made a couple roster moves, uh, called Michael Brasso up for a little bit to try to add some offensive production. In the infield, sent Randy Rosarena down for the time being. Aaron Loop was sent down to AAA to give Peter Fairbanks an opportunity in the big leagues. And a couple more trades that I rejected. Uh, last week's episode talked about rejecting trades that would have sent Austin Barnes to the Rays, another one that would have sent Steven Vogt to the Rays. Uh, did not get any, well, did get another offer for a catcher. Uh, Travis Darno. The Braves offered Travis Darno, said they would retain 25% of his contract in exchange for Michael Brasso and Josh Fleming. So I considered this one. So bringing Travis Darno back to the Rays obviously was signed for a two year, $16 million deal to the Atlanta Braves. If they retained 25% of that, that would have been the equivalent of a two year, $12 million deal, which I've actually said on the podcast with Jim two weeks ago would have been what the Rays had offered to Darno. My guess, I had no evidence, I'm not reporting that, but that was my guess that the most they offered him would have been around $6 million a year. This trade would have gotten Darno back on the Rays for that price. Um, but the problem is, I took a look at Darno's 2020 stats. He had a slash line of 186, 264, 345, with only four home runs and 12 RBI over 126 plate appearances. And again, I talked about this a lot. You know, a catcher like Darno, who's not outstanding defensively, he's good defensively, he's formidable back there, but he's not a game changer, and he hasn't been a game changer at the plate in 2020, doesn't make the team better. And if it does make the team better, by how much? Is it worth worth giving up a guy like Marco Brasso at the time, who in the game, you know, is actually a pretty solid player. He, he looks like he's going to develop into a maybe an everyday major leaguer at some point in his career. So rejected that one um, you know, at $6 million a year. Didn't think that would be a worthy addition to the team, especially, like I said, Kevin Smith is doing an okay job. And Zanino is eh, great defensively at the plate, still a little sketchy. At the end of the month, May 31st, rejected another trade. The Diamondbacks offered Steven Vogt and minor leaguer Alexander Hernandez in exchange for Jose Martinez. Uh, I, I continue to be interested in acquiring a, dead, a catcher before the deadline, um, but I want to be very, very careful in, in who I go after and how much I pay for them. Uh, the biggest need at this point in the game is a player that can play almost every day and, and can provide consistent offensive production. The team lacks uh, runs and, and ranks at the bottom of the American League in most offensive stat categories. And if there's any chance to competing with the Yankees for the division, which at this point I'm not too confident in, we, we need hitters. The pitching is outstanding, and I'm going to talk a little bit about those pitchers in just a second. But like I said, finished the month at 33-28. and 28. Like Austin Meadows wins AL Hitter of the Month. Uh, in Jim's save, Blake Snell wins the AL Pitcher of the Month in mine. He had 33 and two-third innings pitched, over five starts, a 1-3-4 ERA in the month of May, 40 strikeouts, nine walks, a .62 whip. Uh, that brought him to a season stat line of 74 and a third innings pitched, over 12 starts, a 2.18 ERA, a .94 whip, 90 strikeouts, and 10.9 strikeouts per nine innings. I am looking to call Brendan McKay up soon. Uh, he's done really well in AAA. 58 and a third innings pitched, over 10 starts, a 2.16 ERA, 67 strikeouts, which is good for a 10.3 strikeouts per nine innings. So I might look at trades for guys like Yanni Torinos or Ryan Yarbrough 
Or I can send Anthony Bonda down and move Ryan Yarbrough to the bullpen in a long relief spot. Torinos has done really well in the rotation, as well as Glasnow, Snell, and Morton. And Yarbrough hasn't been bad, but I believe Brennan McKay would be an immediate upgrade. And having Ryan Yarbrough in the bullpen gives me a guy that can go multiple innings out of the pen, which I said last week was something I was looking for. And Yarbrough would probably be an upgrade over Anthony Bonda in that role. Could also use Yarbrough as trade bait. Maybe If not now, maybe later in the season. We always know we've got guys like uh, Anthony Bonda and maybe Jalen Beeks that could be used in that long relief role out of the pen. Um, but yeah, going to look to call up Brendan McKay in the near future. Charlie Morton also having an incredible season thus far. 78 innings pitched over 13 starts. A 2.42 ERA, a 1.10 whip, 68 strikeouts. Uh, 8.7K per nine in the month of May, a little up from his 7.6K per nine in April. I talked about how his strikeout numbers were down, looking at his stats from the last three seasons, two of them in Houston and one of them with the Rays, how his strikeout numbers were in the double digits in terms of K per nine and how they were down this year. They're going up, so I guess that's a good sign, but his ERA is staying low. He's been dominant. Him and Snell, uh, I mean, doesn't there's no better one-two punch probably in baseball, in this save, I'm just saying, in this save. Jimon Choi having a very solid season, 170 plate appearances. He was injured for a little bit, hitting 248. He's got a 523 slugging percentage, an 859 OPS. He's got 12 home runs, 22 RBI, a 130 OPS plus, and has been good for 1.2 wins above replacement. Willie Adamas, been consistent, 245 plate appearances, a 267 batting average. His slugging percentage a little low at 280. He has got, I believe, it's like a 7-11 OPS. Not great. Only four home runs, 22 RBI. A 342 BABIP, though, which is solid in 1.6 wins above replacement. He's playing good defense. He's playing shortstop every single day. And I'm really happy with Willie Adamas thus far. Hunter Renfro, though, not going well for him. I mentioned how bad he was when Jim was on the podcast last week. So far through May, 216 plate appearances. I keep trying to play him through it. 154 batting average, 227 on base, 323 slugging. He does have nine home runs. He's got 23 RBI, but a 48 OPS plus. Absolutely horrific. Negative 0.7 wins above replacement. Uh, he needs to improve and improve fast, or he will get moved to the bench. Or I don't know what I'm going to do with him. I, get, I think he's got options left. Don't really want to send him down. Hoping... He just snaps out of it, goes on a one- or two-week tear, and it gets his numbers looking from horrible to at least bad. You know, if he finishes the season at the Mendoza line, I'd be pretty happy with that, given the way the season has gone. He's hitting home runs, so maybe he is a bench option if you need a power bat late in the game, but I don't know. He's just really hard to rely on at the time. at this time. And hopefully he gets better. That's really all I have to say about that. I haven't even looked at Tommy Pham's stats to see how he's doing in San Diego. Maybe I'll give that a check and give you guys an update on that in the, in the next episode to see how Rays, uh, players that Rays, the Rays have traded are doing in the game. That might be interesting. Um, I've been given the most of the save opportunities to Diego Castillo now. Uh, Nick Anderson was struggling. Um, Castillo's been absolutely great this season. Th- over 31 appearances, he's got a 1-4-8 ERA. He's striking out 11.3 batters per nine innings. He's got a 1.02 whip. He's been incredible. Anderson might get some save opportunities. Alvarado might get some. But as of now, Castillo's our best pitcher, and he's going to be getting the ball in the ninth inning a lot 
from uh, from now on until that changes. So, yeah, Rays are 33 and 28. Um, could be better, only five games over 500. And at this point, don't think it's realistic to win the division. Just I've played the Yankees a few times in this game, and the lineup is just unstoppable. At this point, the Rays lineup just can't compete. I would have to make some major acquisitions before the trade deadline if we had any chance to to catch them in the division race, I think. But I think the wild card is very easily attainable, especially if we make all the right moves. So we'll have a ne- another update either on next week's pod or maybe we'll take a week off and come back later. But that is the update through the month of May in Out of the Park from Jim and from myself. And that's going to do it for today's episode of the Raise Your Voice podcast. Thank you again to Brian Menendez for hopping on and talking Blake Snell. I, obviously, we're all excited to see Snell back in 2020, whenever whenever that happens. Um, but uh, Raise Your Voice, as well as The Hit Show, as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, all available under the D-Rays Bay Podcast feed. If you search D-Rays Bay, wherever you get your podcasts, it should pop up. You can subscribe and get all those episodes downloaded directly to your uh, device on platforms, which allows you to rate and review if you could leave a, uh, a rating and a review, that would be a huge help for the podcast and for our podcast network. I provide write-ups for all the Raise Your Voice podcasts on draisebay.com. You can check those out. Also, like I said, putting out some great content. This week we had an article. We had a few articles on the KBO on uh, some breakdowns for each of the teams, um, who you should root for, some raised ties, some local ties. So, uh, yeah, good stuff on draisebay.com. And obviously... Uh, please subscribe, please rate and review to the podcast. It would be a huge help to spread this to more race fans, which is our ultimate goal. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. I'll see you guys next week.